If you want to turn in the book of Habakkuk, chapter 3, verses 18 through 19 are what we're going to focus on mainly, but I'm going to start in chapter 1, and I really want you to, to get, I'm going to read a little more text this morning than I normally do for the backdrop of our message, but it's so that you get a feeling for what's going on here. You get a really good idea of the context. And I'm also reading from the New Living Translation, which usually I read from the ESV, but for today's message, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. In verse 1 of chapter 1, this is the message that the prophet Habakkuk received in a vision. This is what he's saying. This is his complaint. How long, O Lord, must I call for help? But you don't listen. Violence is everywhere, I cry, but you don't come to save. Must I forever see the evil deeds? Why must I watch all this misery? Wherever I look, I see destruction and violence. I'm surrounded by people who love to argue and fight. The law has become paralyzed and there is no justice in the courts. The wicked far outnumber the righteous so that justice has become perverted. Sounds like a strong dialogue with the Lord. So this is God's reply to Habakkuk. The Lord replied, look around the nations, look at all and be amazed because for I am doing something in your own day, something you won't believe, even if someone told you about it. I'm raising up the Babylonians, a cruel and violent people. They will march across the world and conquer other lands. They, they are notorious for their cruelty and do whatever they like. Their horses are swifter than cheetahs and fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their char charioteers charge from far away. Like eagles, they swoop down and devour their prey. Oh, they come, they come and all bent on violence. Their hordes advance like desert winds, sweeping captives ahead of them like sand. They scoff at kings and princes and scorn all their fortresses. They simply pile ramps of earth against their walls and capture them. They sweep past like the wind and are gone, but they are deeply guilty for their own strength is their God. So God responds to Habakkuk, Habakkuk's not done. Here's where he comes back to the Lord. He says, verse 12, O Lord, my God, my Holy One, you are eternal. Surely you do not plan to wipe us out. O Lord, our rock, you have sent the Babylonians to correct us, to punish us for our many sins, but, there are pure, but you are pure and cannot stand the sight of evil. Will you wink at their treachery? Now, come on, can't you relate to Habakkuk a little bit? I mean, if you knew in the spiritual realm, if you were literally hearing the voice of God physically and verbally tell you these school shootings, the terrorists, all these things that you're complaining about and you're saying, you know, these people are this and this and that. If God would say, I'm doing it because the church as a whole has gone to sleep on me and I'm trying to correct them and wake them up. If God responded to you that way, what kind of attitude would you have? How would you feel if God was saying, I'm correcting you for your attitude towards this world because it's you who has the answer and you who are asleep? The Lord's second reply. I'm sorry, I, let me, let me, will you wink at their treachery and then let's go on uh, with Habakkuk. Should you be silent while the wicked sh uh, swallow up people more righteous than they? Are we only fish to be caught and killed? Are we only sea creatures that have no leader? Must we be strung on their hooks and caught in their nets while they rejoice and celebrate? Then they will worship their nets and they will burn incense in front of them. These nets are the gods who have made us rich, they will claim. 
Will you let them get away with this forever? Will they succeed forever in their heartless conquests? I will climb up to my watchtower and stand at my guard post. There I will wait to see what the Lord says and how he will answer my complaint. I'm not following you, Lord, that you're you really, I mean, as far as I know who you are, you're not really going to let them just have their heyday and get away with doing this to God's people. And, you know, in fact, I'm just going to get up on a tower. I'm going to watch and just see what happens. I'm going to wait and see what you do. The Lord's second reply, then the Lord said to me, write my answer plainly on tablets so that a runner can carry the correct message to others. Habakkuk, I need you to write this down. Give it to somebody else that will actually go out and get the message out, right? This vision is for my future time. It describes the end and it will be fulfilled. It seems slow in coming, but wait patiently, for it will surely take place. I will not be delayed. Look at the proud. They trust in themselves and their lives are crooked, but the righteous will live by their faithfulness to God. Wealth is treacherous and the arrogant are never at rest. They will open their mouths as wide as the grave and like death, they are never satisfied. In their greed, they have gathered up many nations and swallowed up many people, but soon their captives will taunt them. They will mock them saying, what sorrow awaits you thieves? Now you will get what you deserve. Now become rich by extortion, but how much longer can this go on? Suddenly your debtors will take action. They will turn on you and will take all you have while you stand trembling and helpless. Because you have plundered many nations, now all the survivors will plunder you. You committed murder throughout the countryside and filled the towns with violence. What sorrow awaits you who build big houses with money gained dishonestly? You believe your wealth will buy security putting your family's nest beyond the reach of danger. But by the, murders, by the murders you committed, you have shamed your name and forfeited your lives. The very stones in the walls cry out against you, and the beams in the ceilings echo the complaint. What sorrow awaits you who builds the cities with money gained through murder and corruption? Has not the Lord of the heavens' armies promised that the wealth of the nations will turn to ashes? They work so hard, but all in vain. For as the waters fill the sea, the earth will be filled with an awareness of the glory of the Lord. It goes on, what sorrow awaits you? And then Habakkuk's prayer. Habakkuk goes into prayer. This prayer was sung by the prophet Habakkuk in, in, uh, in 3 verse 1. I have heard about you, Lord. I am filled with awe by your amazing works. In this time of our deep need, help us again as you did in years gone by. And in your anger, remember your mercy. And goes on. And so, so we see this uh, dialogue back and forth between Habakkuk and God. And he goes into prayer uh, begging for mercy for the people. This, this book takes the name of the author, which is Habakkuk. And not much known about uh, Habakkuk other than what's in this book. Um, but we do know that if translated, Habakkuk means one who embraces. One who embraces, which... It does does really smack, if you will, of what happens in the end because he does embrace God um, and God's ways. And so with uh, as with many of the minor prophets, nothing is known about the prophet except what can be uh, taken out of this book. The mention of the uh, Chaldeans suggests the late, uh, the late 7th century B.C. And this is shortly be- before, if you've watched Veggie Tales, you know about King Nebuchadnezzar, right? And the chocolate bunny. So, you know, uh, this, the Chaldeans, uh, there's this uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, and this is his military march through Nineveh and Haran, and 
several places and then on to Jerusalem in 605 BC. So this is what, what the time frame is there. And so the chocolate bunny came after that. Worship the chocolate bunny. I'm just making sure everybody's still with me because when you read that much scripture, sometimes you tend to lose people. <clears throat> well, there's, there's a little background in saying this. Uh, the Egyptian king, uh, Nico, traveling through Judea in 609 B.C., uh, he was there to assist the fleeing Assyrian king who opposed King Josiah. Now, King Josiah was a righteous king. If you remember the story, Josiah, they found the book of the law. They found God's word hidden in, in the walls. They're cleaning the house. and like, oh, that's where it went. That's where the people first left it. And, and so he, he reissues this and then begin you know, studying God's word and, and does cleaning house. No more idolatry, all this stuff we put to death. But then he has these uh, three sons and a grandson that don't take things the same way or at least hold the fort. And so then the nation quickly reverted uh, back to the evil ways. And this is what's causing, this is what the backdrop is for Habakkuk to question God's silence and apparent lack of punitive action to purge his covenant people. Habakkuk's just basically frustrated, wants God to do something, but when God responds with, I'm going to use evil people to correct my people, Habakkuk starts backpedaling a little. He's like, really? Are you going to do, like, are we going to all get wiped out? Or are you, you know, I wanted you to do something, but come on. And, and isn't that our nature, really? Sinful nature? We're so temporal-minded that, that God, I don't want any suffering, and that's natural. But we want God to fix this world. But we don't want to touch our doorstep. We, we, we want God to, to really bring a revival and to, and to heal our land, but we don't want him to do it if he's going to have to bring terrorists to wake up the church and say, hey, we're in desperate times. We need to be binding up the brokenhearted and the wounded, and we need to be doing what Jesus told us to do. And this is really... Uh, you can tell that Habakkuk's really struggling with this, as I would be too. Is I want to fix God, but I don't really want to be involved in the, the negative parts. I don't want to lose anybody in my family. I don't want any of that to come to my doorstep. And, and the opening verses reveal a historical situation similar to the days of Amos and Micah, where justice, ha justice had essentially disappeared from the land. Violence and wickedness are rampant and existing unchecked. And in the midst of these dark days, the prophet cried out for divine intervention. And I think we can relate. Now, I don't, I don't know that we're having as hard of times. I mean, we don't have uh, violence in our streets right now. You know, people out there that we have to worry about getting out the doors. But in some cities it is. And we're seeing it more and more. We're seeing this just this heart of violence. And God's response was that he was sending the Chaldeans to judge Judah. In, in chapter 1, verses 5 through 11, he creates an event greater that, that creates something that's a greater theological dilemma for Habakkuk. It's a little harder for Habakkuk to just really sign in to, to, to his theology when it involves God's wrath greater than he anticipated. You know, there, there's a lot of red-blooded, patriotic Americans who, you know, I serve in the military. I, I am patriotic. And it's always like us and them, you know, and if, if, you know, we need to go squash all those people across the pond, right? I mean, you kind of get that mentality. Uh, it, you know, we get this mentality that, I, I, you know, shoot them all, let God sort them out. Or, or like I heard in the military, it's not my job uh, to introduce, it's not my job to tell them about God. It's my job to set up the meeting for them to figure it out. You know, basically, you know, send them all to their maker. But that's not what God is 
that's not what God's projecting here when there's a problem in the culture and there's a culture of violence. And that's, that's hard. I mean, I, I know I'm getting some funny looks, but isn't that a little hard to swallow about our God that, that he may bring up a violent nation to come and correct us so that we finally get desperate enough, we get on our knees, and finally live what we say we're going to live? Those are hard, hard scriptures to absorb, and Habakkuk's having this, this problem as well. Why didn't God purge his people and restore their righteousness? How could God use the, the, the Chaldeans to judge a people more righteous than they? How could God use those pagan people of other religions to chastise and correct his people? God's answer that he would judge the Chaldeans also did not fully satisfy Habakkuk's theological confusion. In fact, it only intensified it. And if you read more of it, you see it. Just It's, it's this back and forth. In Habakkuk's mind, God no longer responds with, with a righteous response towards evil, nor vindicates God's character and covenant with his people. And so, so like Job... The prophet argued with God, and through that experience, he achieved a a deeper understanding of God's sovereign character and a firmer faith in him. So ultimately, Habakkuk realized that God was not only only to be worshipped merely because of temporal blessings he bestowed, but for his own sake. So, so this creates an interpretive challenge for those who read it because the question of the prophet represents uh, some of the most fundamental questions in all of life. Some of those questions like, why would a good God let babies die? Why would a good God let terrible things happen to good people? What, why was a, would a good God let these pagan nations wreak havoc on a Christian nation? And all these answers providing crucial foundational stones on which to build the correct understanding of God's character and sovereign ways of history. It's, it's part of the growth process of understanding God's character and nature. Sometimes our immaturity and our questions, our temporal mindedness, our, our fallen nature mindedness, actually is what God uses to get us down the road a little bit to understanding this is why. This is why I have to do this. Because my ways are greater than yours. My ways are higher than yours. The core of his message lies in the call to trust God. In Habakkuk went at 2.4. The just shall live by faith. The just shall live by justice. No. The just shall live by revenge. No. The just shall live by Christian vigilantism. Using God's word as our weapon to slap the face of the non-believers. No, the just shall live by faith. And the New Testament references of Habakkuk will tell us that there's this unusual importance to the book of Habakkuk that in times of trial in the New Testament, you know, like we will quote the New Testament in our times of trial sometimes. You know what they quoted? The book of Habakkuk. And we and we see that like in quotes, um, like Habakkuk 2.4 with Apostle Paul uh, quotes this verse twice in Romans 1.17 and Galatians 3.11. And the writer of Hebrews quotes, I'm sorry, the writer of Hebrews quotes Habakkuk 2.4 to increase the believer's need to remain strong and faithful in the midst of affliction and trials. And the Apostle Paul, on the other hand, quotes the verse twice in Romans 1.17 and Galatians 3.11. 
there doesn't need to be any interpretive conflict here for us. Because the emphasis in both Habakkuk and the New Testament references, they, they go beyond the act of faith to include continuity of faith. And what I mean by that is faith is not a one-time act, but a way of life. Faith is not a one-time act, but a way of life. The, the true believer, declared righteous by God, will over and over again persevere in faith throughout his life and will trust the sovereign God who only does what is right. In other words, like Job, I'll take the boils and scrape with pottery. I'll lose everything. Even my wife, who is supposed to be my greatest supporter here on earth, will tell me to curse God and die, but yet I will still serve him. I'll have questions for him. I may have a little complaint <laughs> or a big complaint like Habakkuk, but this is a lesson Habakkuk's learning is that I praise God no matter what my circumstance because circumstances are misleading. Circumstances will lead you wrong. It's like we talk about the joy of the Lord, that the joy of the Lord is not depending on circumstances. Happiness is. I had a good day. I'm happy today. That evening I had something bad happen. I'm not happy. But the joy of the Lord is my strength because in all those things that happen, while the happiness is fleeting, I realize that the joy of the Lord is I'm just here for a while. I'm going to suffer for a while. I'm going to be perfected. And if I can take as many people with me as I can to heaven, then I win. Right? But how temporarily we, we think of things. When we were on our way to the retreat this weekend, I pushed a little closer to time than I wanted, but I was going to get there at like 2.30. We we're going to start activities about 3 Dinner's at 6.30, so we're at 3 to 5.30, basically, and then get clean up. And I'm trucking along in my truck, and Jen's following me with Belinda in the church van, and I've got all my guns and ammo for us to have skeet shooting and all that. I'm excited. And, uh, you know, cruising along, had music playing. I passed them. They started out before me, and I was kind of happy about that. Passed them. Now I'm leading the way. That's what most men like to do. And driving my old cowboy Cadillac, the, you know, $24 spray can paint job, <laughs> looking like I belong in Arkansas, you know, <laughs> heading into Missouri, probably scaring them to death. And all of a sudden, bam, <laughs> blow out on the front tire. Third one I've had on that. I won't mention the name brand of the tires, but I don't think I'm buying those anymore. So anyway, um, big, bad blowout. And I, I keep it on the road, praise God. And then we get off. And I'm like, well, I've got a jack. And you know how men are? We get out, it's like, last time, 15 minutes max, maybe 20, change, we'll be back on the road. And I get out, pull out the jack that I usually use. I have these pieces of beams I use that we cut off the beams for the church op big openings, real strong stuff, and I use that to stack up. All set, break the lug nuts loose, and there's like eight of them on my truck. So, you know, I'm thinking I'm doing good, and the jack fails. I got a smaller one, a little too small, but I'll try that. No go. Church van's here. Oh, there's a big jack in the back of the church van. It didn't work. So I have these two jacks are too small to use on my truck, but I start using them kind of in conjunction with each other. One breaks loose, smashes my hand, and I go through all this, and it's like an hour or so where I finally get it changed back on the road. But it really was about to dampen my spirit because I was getting frustrated. But you know, the longer I, I go through this journey with the Lord and realize what we had ahead of us, I recognize that the enemy is going to throw everything he can to try to discourage me, change my attitude, because if I could go on that retreat where we were going for the purpose of drawing more people into service, because we need laborers. We're getting ready to increase our borders. We need laborers. It's utmost, vitally, life-threatening to this church if we don't 
see that vision and more people jump in and labor. I, I'm telling you, I'm not trying to be dramatic. It is at this point, it is life-threatening to the church if, if we do not cast the vision and people accept the challenge and jump in and labor with us. We cannot fulfill what God has asked us to do uh, and continue to do it with a handful of people that get worn out. We've got to have more labors. All that's pressing on me. Now I'm running late, and now it's going to change the time. But I got in back in, and I'm praising God. I'm thinking, you know what? I'm back on the road. Everything's going to work out. And I thought, man, a year or two before this, that would have run the weekend, and I would have had a different attitude, and people would have picked up on that, and it would have changed it for us. But we had a great time, I believe. It was one of the best times I had. And it just goes to tell me that you cannot let circumstance change what God has called you to do even in the moment-by-moment daily attitudes you take at anything that happens in this world, negative or otherwise. You cannot do as a Christian and be victorious in your walk with the Lord. You cannot grow spiritually if you continue to let circumstances change depending on day-to-day whether you're going to fulfill what God is putting on your heart to do. You cannot come to an altar and pray and God download you and say, you're supposed to do this in the church and this is your part of the body and do that and then let something else come along and say, well, I heard that, but now I'm changing it because I've got something else going on. You know, well, that was before I lost my job. Well, did God, did God know you are going to lose your job? So did he make a mistake in what he spoke to you at the altar? And you can go down the list, on and on and on and on and on, of all the excuses we make. And part of our culture has become very reactionary to situational Christianity. If things are going good, I'm on my high horse and I'm following the Lord, I'm worshiping him. But when things go bad then all of a sudden I've got to separate for a while and take care of my stuff and then I'll come back to church. I've got a brother who is, I love, he's close, a brother in Christ who is in another state who, this is exactly how he's handling. I had a horrible situation happen to me, crushed my heart, crushed my spirit, and so now I'm separated from a, a, a no, I'm not in a church because I'm going to get myself together, then I'm going to go to church. It's the wrong way to handle it. Now I'm going to, I'm going to show you from this, from this account, from Habakkuk, that that particular thing that we can amen and say, yes, you should run to the church body when you're in crisis is also the very reason that we should not, that, that when the crisis happens in the United States, like a shooting or anything like that, that's not time for us to sit back and relax, but that's a time when people need Jesus most and we need to be about the Lord's business then because he's bringing people to a moment of crisis. He's allowing it. I'm not saying God always causes it, but he's allowing it in order that we may see the need in the people and respond. Habakkuk, in in the end, has placed his faith in God, the God of grace and glory, not only for the survival of his nation, but for the personal existence and well-being of himself and everyone he loves. This, the, Judah, it was this agrarian economy where they had, you know, they, they uh, had a lot of figs and grapes and that, olives, and that's what they had. They had cattle and sheep. And, and he's in this environment where all those things are vital to the, to the life of his community, of the people that he's with. And even Habakkuk realized, like Job, that all of that is rubbish if you don't depend on God because he's the one that provided all that. And he owns the cattle on the thousand hills. If my cattle dies, God's got more to supply. He is the covenant God who keeps his promises and uh, with his people. 
in periods of affliction. He proves himself uh, the savior of his covenant people. And I'm going to tell you, when tragedy strikes in your life, if you'll run to God and say, I will not change the direction in which I'm serving him right now. And I'm not talking about just prayer time and all, but if he's got you involved in something in ministry in the church that he's planned you, do not stop, pour it on stronger. Because through that, he will grow you, those around you, and, and he is a covenant God who will keep his promises and I will supply all your needs. So Habakkuk accepts God's righteous judgment. It shook him up to the core, but he finds the, the incredible gift of faith that causes him to rejoice and rise to new places of faith and strength. And, and in accepting this fearful, challenging word of God, he found grace to soar above circumstances and stand in God's high places. He found himself rising above the circumstances. And that's what I pray for all of us. This church cannot press forward and expand our borders and tell all of us as a body live in such a way that we rise above the circumstances of our life to the victory God has us and let his grace, his provision provide as we labor for a harvest. I was fortunate to grow up in, a church, in farm communities in Nebraska during a time that was a, a revival in my dad's church and it began to grow in a small community. And I remember the people as they worshiped, there was this electricity in the air. And back then the popularity was these uh, kind of the Jewish hymns, Jehovah Jireh, my provider, his grace. His, you, some of y'all know those, you know. It, and, but as a kid, I remember hearing that. I was like, wow, uh, these are people older. They're usually acting you know, more dignified and they're really like, dancing around again with it and and i could see the joy of the lord and many of them were in a community where farming might have been on the decline and they brought the the beef processing plant in and when it was open the community did great financially and when it closed down the people lost their jobs and you know the farming communities it's it was a tough environment for survival But despite the coming judgment and suffering it will bring, Habakkuk's faith in God has been strengthened. And he inherits joy that's beyond human logic. Verse 18 moves us from the fearful impact of God's word and possible destruction to triumph and joy and faith. And that's what God wants for us when tragedy strikes. And that's why... I even titled this message, God Has Our Back with a Habakkuk Plan. You worry about somebody having your back, God has your back with a Habakkuk Plan. And that is, even those people who you may have disdain for might be God's answer for bringing you into line. He may allow some pagan nation, or some pagan group, that, that he says, I'm going to let them rise up, they're going to cause havoc all, but if I don't, worse destruction would come because the, the spiritual lives... Forget the physical lives. Let's worry about eternity for a moment. Because the eternal lives of people are at stake, and until things get desperate enough, there are many people who will not turn to God. They have to be brought to a point of devastation before they will turn to their Creator. We see how the impact of God's word on Habakkuk in verse 16 points to his intended outcome. Habakkuk admits that even in times of, of starvation and loss, he would still rejoice in the Lord. Um, there's a movie about a true account, it's, it's old, about a plane crash where the people literally, they're starving and they begin to lose minds and they begin to eat the, those that were passing to stay alive. Now I could not imagine any normal functioning human being 
doing something like that. But when have I ever been stranded on a, a, a place where I'm about to die? They say that when you start to starve, the, the fight for the mental sanity is, is intense because you go into the survival mode and, and your natural sinful nature, now this I'm adding this because the scientists won't attribute to sinful nature, but your natural sinful nature becomes exponentially harder to get over. That's why fasting has such a powerful spiritual impact is because we give up the thing that sustains us especially food or something that we love so much to focus on the Lord and we have to come to the reality of we have to get over ourselves and let the Lord take control. Habakkuk's feelings were not controlled by the events around him but by faith in God. It was in God and his experiencing him as a savior and trusting his sovereignty that brought about the joyful inner disposition that found an outward expression in praise i want to I, I, I heard this uh, illustration where there's a woman who was very discouraged because of many problems in her life she had a lot of devastation in her life and she's walking down the street and she met a fellow believer who asked how are you doing today and with a sour look and bitter shrug she replied oh not too bad under the circumstances and the other person quickly countered well get above the circumstances that's where Jesus is. Here's the thing. When I'm having a bad day or something's gone wrong and I have a brother or sister in Christ tries to encourage me, say, brother, it's, it's okay. It'll get done and all that. It actually, there's something that wells up me and makes me angry sometimes. Like, I know that. Don't tell me that. Right now I'm, I'm dealing with the suffering I'm going through. Let me suffer, please. Just suffer with me. Right? Misery likes company. But, you know, we do that and it is a natural sinful reaction to the pressure put on us because the enemy would like us to continue to wallow in the suffering. You know, we joke about, you know, the psychology of the glass is half empty or glass is half full, but if you know a believer who constantly, it's always a negative, like they cannot get themselves focused on any of the blessings of God. It's always pointing out what's going wrong. And when you slip into that, what happens is that sometimes you forget that what's going wrong might be exactly what you need because God might be using it to kind of correct you and get you back in the right mindset. And until you pass that test, you're going to keep taking it over and over. God does not fail you on tests. He just gives it to you over and over until you finally pass. Now, I would have loved that in school because if they give me long enough, maybe another 12 years, I could have brought home straight A's. Just let me keep taking it. Eventually, I'll get it by repetition, right? You keep marking the ones red that's wrong, and by a hundred times, I'll get them all right because you've shown me which ones are wrong, right? And God's a, God's a great teacher. He says, I'll give you time. I'm just going to keep letting you take that test until you pass it. But it's so much in our sinful nature to say, you know, I want you to correct all the issues around me. I just don't want it to come to my doorstep. Just don't let me have to deal with it, but deal with those people. But God, what are you saying? You're going to let them correct me that is holier than they? You're going to let a Muslim nation maybe put us on our knees? How dare you? They're so below us. You're going to let them correct me of all people, one of God's children? I mean, how dare you, God, after you talk so nice about how we're a royal priesthood, a, 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 a nation, a, a, aliens passing through, we're of the kingdom of God, and you're going to let these scoundrels bring correction on our nation? You're going to let these who, there, maybe it's lack of parenting. We know it's lack of Jesus, but we're just going to play the cards right. 
or they're not parenting or, or the statistics show it's because they didn't have a father or this or that in the picture and go through all this gamut of stuff trying to figure out why kids are going to schools and shooting again. Well, I'll tell you the one I see that's right is when they said absolutely God cannot be in the school system. When you draw that line in the sand with God, he says, I gave you free will as a free gift. And if you as a people say, I cannot cross, I'm powerful enough to do it. And if there's a student in there praying and asking for my help, I will answer. But sometimes the tragedy falls even on the believers because God says, you're okay because you're going to get your perfected body now. You get your reward now. They may take your earthly life, but you are going to be with me today in paradise, like you said to the thief on the cross. So it's okay. Why didn't God just say, hey, you know what? Now that you believe, you can just hop down from the cross. You can, your hands will come right off the nails. You'll hop, you'll hop down and you'll be fine and you live your life, right? No, what was a greater reward? You're not even going to have to worry about messing up again. You're not going to get the opportunity to get down and be tempted to thieve again. Because of your faithfulness in the worst situation that you could possibly be in right now, you decide to believe in that time, that's okay. You're going to be with me today at paradise. And that's what God is telling the church is that when people are hurting from these school shootings, when they're hurting from terrorism attacks, when all these things happen, we, we need to stop for a moment and, and look at the big picture of what's going on spiritually, that this isn't something that we use God's word as a weapon to, to correct them. That's his job. Our job is to go and make disciples. Our job is to spread the story of grace that God has given through his son Jesus to be saved and spend eternity in heaven. And it's God's job to do the judging and sentencing. Because if he uses the pagans to bring correction on us, he says and he stands by his promises like he said to Habakkuk, they'll get theirs. It's just in my timing. I know you want it to happen now because you're seeing what they're doing now and you think they should. And they're gloating. Remember what Habakkuk said? They're going to say, he's using the analogy of nets and getting snagged on their nets. They're going to say, look, we've become profitable because our nets, our nets are killing the Christians, you know, and, and it's making us rich because we're, we're basically hoarding all their stuff. You're going to let them get away with that, God? You're going to let them just gloat? I can't stand it. It's more than I can stand. In my lifetime, I want to see them get theirs. I want to be vindicated now. It's like what we see in Revelation and, and, and the uh, believers who, who are under the protection of the, of the, of the altar, right? And, it, and they're crying out, how much longer for you to vindicate our, our, our martyrs? It's in us. We want to see justice because God created us to be a people who loves justice. But w- the problem is, is when we take that in our own hands and feel like it's our job, we have a community right now that's in struggle. Some of you have seen the news uh, media about the, the struggles, the, the accusations of the police department and the recent letting go of our police chief and others. And it'd be real easy to gloat. It'd be real easy to say, you know what? I got stopped not long ago. I didn't realize you can't ha- you know, use your phone. I knew you can't text in a school zone. I didn't know you can't be on a call. I'm way behind because apparently since 2006 you can't. Right? And I told you all that. And it was embarrassing. And I told him, I said, thank you because I'm a pastor and I would much rather you stop me now and give me a ticket so I know than for these other parents who I want to come to our church and be there, think that pastor doesn't care about my child. And I just even think about it. And sometimes we go on sinning, not giving a second thought to it. And God has said, you know what? I love you enough as a good father. I'm going to bring you some correction. It'd be hard to take. It'd be hard to swallow. But it's for your good and for my people's good. It's for the good of everyone. 
And he has a good Heavenly Father who when he corrects you, it's because he loves you. And so instead of us focusing on punishing those who bring an evil, let's focus on bringing the truth and the grace of the gospel to a hurting world who needs that compassion story of what Jesus did on the cross for them to light up their life and give them a joy that, that passes all understanding it's not dependent on circumstances. No longer do they have to live their life on highs and lows depending on what circumstance they're going through. But they can know, I've got my marching orders. I've got the strength of the Lord to carry me through. And even if I lose everything, even my health or my life, I will praise him no matter what. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, I thank you, God, for this opportunity, Lord, to bring your word. And I thank you for the book of Habakkuk and, Lord, the inspiration that you've given the, the, the prophet Habakkuk to bring to us the reality check that we aren't above correction as a people, as an individual, as a nation. And Lord, it does us no good. It's okay for us to question like Habakkuk did and, and to be frustrated. But in the end, like Habakkuk, eventually we have to accept that you are God, not us. You are perfect, not us. You see the future. You know what's best for everyone, not us. And that left our own we wouldn't be able to deal with the devil and his schemes without you we'd be duped just like the rest of them that we're no better than the pagan nations bringing the terrorism on us we're no better if we're left our own it's only by the grace of god the grace of you that we have accepted that free gift of salvation and that you're changing us and you're bringing healing to us but god let us not get so proud let us not get so stagnant get so distracted everybody's heads bowed eyes closed I want to just give you this analogy there's 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 so many times throughout the history when the stock market crashes and and people who are temporary minded pull out out of panic which helps those who don't who are in it for the long haul and people like Warren Buffett when everybody else is selling guess what they're doing they're buying and like with souls it's like sometimes we when tragedy hits we forget that that's the prime time to harvest souls get caught up in our own anger and our fear about what's going on and we lash out or we we have a weak moment instead of just trusting God and realizing this is a time to to speak compassion and speak hope even to those who are enemies let God bring the justice because he's the only one that can anyway when things are the worst it's not time to pull out it's time to be all in everything I got and if God's calling me to do something in the church, when, when tragedy strikes my life, I lose my job, or, or my family begins to break apart, it's not time for me to, to quit. I may have to take a, a time of rest, but not give up on that call or that plan for my life, but to charge forward to say, Lord, you keep opening the doors. You keep showing the way. And as you do, I will step. I will continue to commit. I will continue to, to offer my life as a living sacrifice to you. But I will not let circumstance change my direction. I will follow you all my days. Jesus, we just pray this for all of us. We make this time right now as we're, we, we're closing ourselves with you as a time of commitment. As that is a prayer commitment, Lord, I will continue in the path that you have before me. I will continue to serve you with everything I have in my local church or where you call me. I will continue to look for that harvest 
and it will be my priority, what you commanded, to go make disciples. All my other responsibilities, my job, everything else, Lord, falls in behind what you've called me to do, what you place in my heart, those times in my prayer when you have spoke to my heart and said, this is what I have called you to do, is paramount and first. In Jesus' name, amen. Love y'all all. Remember, Wednesday night is uh, 6.30, another time of worship and God's Word. And invite people into your lives so that when they see Jesus, they will come and be a part of the body of Christ. And the more the better, right? Amen. God bless you. Have a great day.